Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Too rich or too busy to clean, cook, or book a table? Well, there's a burgeoning industry that will do that for you instead. That'll give you more energy to hop on your bicycle which has been in the news as Cycle to Work Day was held this week. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast. I'm Naomi Rovnik, digital editor of FT Money, and I'll be giving you all the week's money news in downloadable form with help of special studio guest Adrian Lowcock of Arkitas and my FT colleagues Robert Wright and Hugo Greenhalge. So let's start with the do-it-for-me economy. This week's cover feature in FT Money is called Too Rich or Too Busy. And I'm here with FT Wealth correspondent and co-author of the piece, Hugo Greenhouch. We all seem to be working longer hours, don't we? So our cover story traverses an enormous range of lifestyle services that companies now provide, from helping you train your child to use the potty to catering dinner parties for us. At the extreme end, there are concierge services that will do anything for their clients, within the bounds of legality, of course. Hugo, you looked into this. What services did you find? Well, at this point, I mean, what do you want, basically? I mean, it can range from the absolutely extreme and rather wonderful, sourcing an elephant for your wedding, but of course, or actually somebody wanted sand in the outback, the Australian outback shipped over uh, for their party as well. So, so at the very silly end, uh, you can go, you can literally, the sky's not the limit, you can go into space, you can book <laughs> your flights on Richard Branson's uh, intergalactic flights. But at the more mundane side of things, it, it's, it's the more everyday thing. It's getting access. It's getting access to those tables at very, very trendy restaurants or getting access to tickets. Um, Adele sold out, not a chance, but these concierge services will do that for you. So it's a matter of A, access, but also B, time. You don't have the time to do it yourself. You're, you're very busy and you work hard, which is why you're wealthy. So therefore, you can employ somebody to do it for you. So why not? That's, of course, talking about the super rich who may use concierge services. But amongst the generally affluent, who many decades ago may have had help below stairs, as it were, they're now buying in the modern equivalent of having their own staff. What have you seen them doing? I think there's been a cultural shift in the sense of the, our attitude towards staff, as it was usually called back in the day. I think we're less embarrassed about saying, well, look, I'm sorry, I've got a bit of spare cash. I don't want to do the cleaning. Mm. I don't, you know, I'm sorry, I work long hours. I don't want to come home and, you know, then work in the house as well. Yes. And I think there's been a kind of a shift in terms of, OK, are you too lazy? Are you too rich? Or, or frankly, are you too busy? 
Mm, or and is your time, perhaps you're paid by the hour yourself in our gig economy. Maybe absolutely. your hourly rate is somewhat higher yeah. than the hourly rate you may pay somebody to come and clean your curtains or something. So the middle, as well as the upper middle classes, the affluent and the super rich are getting interested in time-saving lifestyle services. So what are our kind of middle-middle class sort of consuming instead of doing themselves? It's interesting looking at the list, and the list is long as well. I mean, oven cleaning, curtain cleaning, why not? Role models for the kid was the fascinating idea that you could employ somebody to be a role model. I mean, Instead of a regular child. Well, or, or, or you're employing them to be a parent, aren't you, in terms of, mm. kind of giving them a kind of moral compass, as it were. Choosing schools in terms of kind of actually not just the tuition side of things, which is, of course, an option, but helping you to go through the yeah, the UCAS forms, helping you to kind of think about what type of school, uh, so university or other, uh, your child should go to. And uh, dinner party catering, which actually, you know, again, I know friends who've done that. It's um, not too expensive compared no. to going to restaurants. And I think actually, you know, yes, of course, there's an element of laziness, but again, it's more about... Huh. Do I have time? Do I have the energy? Mm. Okay. I'll do be, I want be, to be stuck in the kitchen well, sweating or when, can somebody uh, else when do my, my friends canapes? are having fun in the living room? Precisely. So again, it comes down to a different sense of what it means to employ somebody. That relationship with them, it's not the upstairs downstairs thing that we were used to in terms of servants or staff. It's a case of, well, okay, they're doing a job that I, you know, frankly, I don't have time for. Absolutely. And the economic and sociological drivers of this are probably things like more women in the workforce, would you say? And also, I think social media, if you have a family and a job, you may be perhaps um, bombarded with posts from your friends and acquaintances saying how perfect their life is. And maybe you want to buy in a little bit to create that perfection for yourself, would you say? I think there's certainly an element of that, of course. But again, it comes down to changing shifts in the way in which we work nowadays. I mean, not just kind of zero-hours contracts and stuff like that, but also the, the fact that students uh, nowadays <laughs> actually have to go and get more jobs. I mean, mm. I, I, you know, I, I, Hence tuition. Well, exactly. I mean, I use Deliveroo, the, the, the delivery service, quite a bit. And it's interesting watching um, you know, over the summer, it's usually been kind of in a whole range of people. Now, mm. come September, October, ones. it's you know, the students picking up the tab and again yes it, you, you you have to wonder about well the the i guess the ethics in terms of are they getting a decent wage but at the same time it's just part of a kind of again cultural shift in how the economy works nowadays so we are busier and the gig economy is there so apps like task rabbit help us get somebody into put our wardrobe up mow the lawn etc absolutely whatever it might be whether it's kind of you're right as every day as been putting up your ikea wardrobe or getting you that table for friday nights uh, to go out with your friends at kind of the fashionable restaurant or the elephant at your wedding <laughs> of course no, let, let's not forget the elephants but finally i mean a bit of more of a serious point here do you think society's becoming more unequal you know those who have and those who do it for us I think quite the opposite, actually. I think there's, kind of, again, been a, not a democratisation of services, but, again, that old attitude, as I said earlier, about upstairs, downstairs, has, has gone. I mean, we respect people who work for us, you know, with us at this point. We don't kind of patronise them. They're not staff anymore. Mm. They're, you know, they're paid to do a job, which we, we, we haven't done ourselves. But that old uh, relationship between master and servant, I think it's, it's finally dying out. And you may be part of the gig economy yourself as well as using it. You may be a family who rents out a home through Airbnb. Absolutely. But then perhaps you need to find somebody on TaskRabbit to come and spruce it up for you. Yeah, and it, it, precisely. I mean, you know, the, the, there is that kind of give and take, basically. It, again, that those set roles, as I said about kind of master and servant, have disappeared. And it's in a far more recognition of 
the fact that you're just doing a job like anybody else. And we each have our own areas of expertise. So thank you very much to Hugo. And now we are jumping onto our bikes, figuratively, of course, to talk about cycling to work. Wednesday was National Cycle to Work Day. And Twitter, of course, is ablaze with tips from cycling enthusiasts about how commuters can transform themselves from victims of public transport into a two-wheeled road warrior. And here to tell us more about being a road warrior is the man who's probably the FT's most enthusiastic cycle commuter. We have transport correspondent Robert Wright. Robert, tell me about cycling to work. What we really want to know on the FT Money Show, however, is does cycling actually save you money? The first thing to say, I think, is that it's not free. I think a lot of people have the feeling that when you're cycling, it shouldn't actually really cost you anything. So I, for instance... I bought new shifters for my touring bike on Friday and that as a whole cost me £179. That was not that that is not nothing. But those shifters had been on the old shifters had been on the bike since February two thousand and nine. They'd done thirty thousand miles, so perhaps it wasn't that bad a bargain. So it doesn't cost you nothing. On the other hand, if I were buying a zone one and two annual season ticket that would cost me about 1300 pounds and then add the odd taxi for when you're stuck or the uber Uh, or something the the odd taxi perhaps although i'm a little bit averse to taking taxis so i'm confident i'm not spending 1300 pounds a year on on cycling that's absolutely for sure and what are the biggest financial mistakes people make when they decide they want to try cycle commuting on my way into the office today I, i stopped by at brixton cycles my local bike shop to talk to them about the kind of mistakes that people make and They shared my view, which is that the thing people often do is they think, I'm going to try cycling to work, you know, maybe this is a good idea, but I don't want to commit too much to it, so you buy a cheap bike. And Mm. a cheap bike's pretty miserable to ride, the components wear out really quickly, and then, you know, the whole experiment fails. Mm. So really what you need to do is you do need to buy something that's fit for purpose, and you're going to be spending at least £400 on on a bicycle, and something that's a bit more sophisticated is, is going to set you back considerably more than that on the other hand can last you years and years and years and give what you a are lot we of looking for though i mean as you know commuters who perhaps haven't cycled very much before don't know bikes very well before we shell out 400 or 600 or a thousand pounds what would you say somebody who's got a six to eight mile ride to do perhaps let's not talk about folding bikes for the minute what are the qualities in a bike they should look for is it weight is it the number of gears but again, really what I would say is the principle is, is something that's going to work for you. I ride a steel frame touring bike. It's not particularly light, but I'm not particularly light. It's got quite a lot of gears. The gears work easily, so it doesn't do in my knees. And, that, and that's really a fantastic tool for me. I think what often if you go into a bike shop, you'll see bikes there that don't have mud guards, that don't have racks on them. I think you're wanting to get those those and you have a tip about sure. having a rack instead of a rucksack because that keeps you drier well well i am a huge fan of my ortlieb pannier bags <laughs> which i have with me here in the studio and which go with me pretty much everywhere in life it's definitely a good idea to have you're wearing a rucksack it's going to make you even hotter and sweatier mm. got a high center of gravity get some pannier bags lower center of gravity can carry much more that's, that's a real favourite tip of and mine. And if we're taking the train and we have to have a folding bike, I think you would suggest not taking something too large on the train in case they don't let it. Well, a lot of train companies have a, have a rule that you're not going to get too big a folding bike in the train. So, I mean, an awful lot of people are huge fans of, of Brompton folding bikes. The great thing about them is they fold up really small. And yeah. quickly. Yes. 
And what are obviously big outlays we're talking about here? A Brompton can be a thousand pounds at least, can't it? So, what personal financial encouragement is the government giving us to help us cycle to work? Well, you wrote about the cycle to work scheme in the most recent edition of FT Money, and that will pay up to a thousand pounds in most cases towards the cost of a bike. You pay it back out of your pre tax income, generally over a couple of years. I paid most of the cost of my current bike out of that then at the end of the two years you have to you will typically have to buy the bike yes, back. you don't own it do you, you hire it, it it is a vague it is a somewhat complicated scheme it's not atypical of things that came in under it Gordon was designed Brown. by people who designed tax policies wasn't right, it right exactly <laughs> so it was very typical of the time that gordon brown was was chancellor it, mm. it is a slightly complicated scheme you don't technically own the bike until till you buy it back at the end of the two years but fundamentally if you're a higher rate taxpayer that's knocking about getting on for 40% of the Absolutely. cost off buying the bike. So that Brompton goes down to £600-ish. Yes, yeah. Uh, it really has created a market in £1,000 bikes. Actually. Yes, there are a lot of them around. I yes, noticed yeah, I went yeah. to a bike shop yesterday to research this and mentioned commuting, and a Brompton was put in front of me immediately. So, yes, yes. you have to worry if the prices have gone up to compensate for our <laughs> vouchers, don't you? Uh, I, I couldn't entirely dis- discount that idea. And the, the other thing that if you've got a very progressive employer they might be interested in doing is you can get tax-free cycle mileage. For those of us who cycle to meetings, uh, you can get, your employer can pay you 20p per mile wow. for cycling. As I said, that is a good recognition of the fact that it's not free. You, you're you going to wear out tires, you're going to wear out chains, you're going to wear, wear out cassettes, all, all those kinds of things. So you can get 20p per mile if your employer pays it. And actually, you can still claim something, I think around 8p per mile, if just on your own tax return, even if your employer doesn't pay you. So if you are doing work-related cycling, you're going to meetings, not commuting, but going to meetings Mm. and so on, as I often do, that is something you should press your employer to introduce. Well, every little helps. We could end up making money rather than spending it by cycling. Thank you very much, Robert. There's more in this weekend's FT Money on the new below stairs, while our guide on the Cycle to Work scheme is already online at ft.com slash cycle to work. And now for something completely different, absolute return funds. These are a popular savings vehicle with retail investors that are also being probed by the financial regulator. I'm joined by Adrian Lowcock, Head of Investments at Fund Selector Architas. Um, Adrian, what are absolute return funds? So despite what the name says, they don't necessarily always give an absolute return, but the, 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 their aim is to basically, over a period, and it's usually between three and five years, give a positive return. On so you don't lose money. So you don't lose money over that period. And their real objective is to perform differently to shares, differently to bonds, and to be less volatile than those. So um, They sound a bit like cash. It's basically... I mean, quite often what they do target is returning cash. And it's usually cash in this case. They sort of talk about LIBOR, then plus 2 or 3% on top of that. And they aim to do that on average each year. So the, the tool is really to sort of smooth out the volatility that comes with investing mm. and, and, and help investors perhaps sort of get the same return, but for less risk over a, over a period of time. So with bank interest rates quite low, I can see why they would be attractive if they are indeed returning more than the Best Buy bank account, which I guess you should compare them with. Why is the regulator concerned about them? So the regulator's sort of reviewing this sector, along with sort of a broader review of the asset management industry, to basically make sure investors are getting value for money and there's healthy competition in the marketplace. And one of the concerns that you have with these absolute return funds is that quite often they come with an an additional fee, a performance fee. So when they beat 
their their sort of cash plus target they sort of pay themselves an extra fee on top of the sort of everyday fees that they so charge. Can you end up with something that's maybe worse than a Best Buy bank account then? You can do because, you know, they're investing and performance can vary. So some will underperform. And that's what we've seen this year is that there's been about two thirds of underperformed uh, and lost money. Um, actually lost money. And actually lost money this year. And, and, and uh, you know, but they, they remain popular with investors, particularly in an environment where you do with central banks sort of sort of changing their minds, going from raising interest rates to cutting interest rates, from not doing QE to doing QE and, and, and really uncertain outlook, it can be quite difficult to navigate that course. So, you know, they're not this panacea that just solves all investment problems. They can lose money. They tend to be less volatile and they do tend, on the whole, tend to not lose as much money as, as sort of more aggressive investments, more adventurous investments. Is the regulator also concerned about how they're actually constructed? Well, in terms of the the sort of cost to it and, and, and the risks that are taken, that's going to form part of the review. The sector is quite broad now. So when it first came out, there was a, a sort of a, a few different types of strategies. But now you can buy absolute returns that can do invest in bonds, absolute returns of funds that invest in equities, some that invest in all sorts of as- assets, currencies, uh, using derivatives quite often. Some are far more aggressive and they don't just target cash, they target a very high rate of return. And they're not necessarily targeting a sort of absolute return over, over a three-year period, but they, they make quite aggressive calls on the market. Market, and until they get that aggressive call right, they will lag and underperform quite significantly, particularly at equity markets and possibly showing losses. So sound a bit like hedge funds. And that's where the, the sort of legacy came from. Sort of following the financial crisis, there was before that there was only a few around really for the retail market. And following that, the money flew out of hedge funds from institutional money and, and high net worth investors. And these hedge fund companies launched retail versions of them, effectively sort of perhaps dialing down the the risks in them but using the strategies. So instead of just being able to buy shares in Vodafone or Tesco's, you could share, sell shares in Vodafone and Tesco's, and that way they could try and make money in a falling market. Who should use these? I mean, some people obviously will find them appropriate. Overall, I mean, if you pick the right ones, they're not what, they're not necessarily risky. So they can suit sort of all of all range of investors. And they work very well when they're in a portfolio of different assets because you can effectively sort of protect market, protect loss from losses and and therefore protect the volatility of your investments. So, you know, we've used them in the past when for, for cautious investors who don't necessarily want full exposure to equities, but also sort of higher risk investors who want to, you know, protect their gains when they've made them. So they do work, but they need a lot of research and it isn't one size fits all and not every, you know, no two absolute return funds are, are identical in that. So you need Hedge to do a lot of research. Hedge funds that might do a little bit better than a bank account. In, 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 in essence, that's what a large number of them are, yes. Great. Okay, well, thank you very much. That was Adrian Lowcock. And we'd love to know what you think about concierge services and the too rich or too busy trend and about money matters in general. You can get in touch via email money at ft.com or you can tweet us at at ft money additionally if you have a financial conundrum you'd like us to help you solve email us and we'll consider it for our your questions section what else will feature in this weekend's issue well we have news on the renewed outrage over inflexible direct debits advice on which of your assets can be shielded from inheritance tax and tips on how to position your investment portfolio for a trump victory Popular fund manager Terry Smith, meanwhile, has some more advice for us on income investing. The Money Show was edited in Manila by Feline Reyes. We'll be back next week, but for now, it's goodbye from me and our studio guests. Goodbye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you might like to try our World Weekly podcast, which is presented by me, Gideon Rachman, the FT's chief foreign policy commentator. 
Each week, I discuss one of the main political stories of the week with the FT's overseas correspondents and experts. And you can find our latest show at ft.com slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. From Wednesdays.